Welcome to the Sports Memory Podcast. We have a little bit of a different show for us tonight. This podcast, as most of you know, is based in the great city of St. Petersburg, Florida. And one of our regular contributors of the podcast just so happens to be running for mayor of St. Pete. His name is Pete Boland. So the reason we wanted to have him on, obviously, is not just because we love having him on, but also because he might actually be making decisions about the sports in this area, uh, in particular the Rays. So, Pete, uh, lots happened since the last time we saw you, buddy. Yeah, lots happened. Uh, you know, the Lightning are on another Stanley Cup run. Uh, the Rays are one of the best teams of baseball, and and now uh, here I am running for mayor of my hometown, and one of the big issues that just keeps coming up ad nauseum. It's every forum, every on the tip of every voter's tongues is what's going to happen with the Tropicana Field site, what's going to happen with the Rays Stadium stalemate as we're uh, entering year 14 of this uh, tired saga and. And one of the reasons why I'm running is to fix this problem and, and save pro sports for Pinellas County. Yeah, so the Tampa Bay Rays, they're obviously called the Tampa Bay Rays because St. Pete, for some reason, gets the raw end of the bar, of the bargain. Uh, even though the stadium is located in St. Pete, they are called the Tampa Bay Rays. A lot of people don't know that. It's kind of like with the you know New York Giants, New York Jets. They actually play in New Jersey. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays actually play in St. Pete. They have since day one, always in Tropicana Field. And it seems like since the day we got them, it's always been a matter of when are we going to lose them? Yeah, and that's kind of messed much. up. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, I mean, you know, we've had this uh, this thing going on for a little over 20 years, 1998, March 31, 98. Uh, we started this this little experiment. But the issue is is uh, really long, and it's been around for a long time, and and it was very controversial at the time when we built the ballpark. It was kind of a there's a big rivalry between Tampa and St. Pete, and a lot of people outside the area don't know that. And uh, uh, for some that may be listening from outside the area, you know, we're divided by one of the big bodies of water here, and uh, we're uh, with this eight mile long bridge that is this big divide in our community sometimes. But uh, everybody definitely gets excited about the Lightning and the Bucks, and there's always just kind of this haggling over a stadium issue and and uh, just where it should be and like in a lot of other markets they have a, a regional epicenter you could just put it right in a downtown of of a city and then everybody can kind of get to it from equal distance we don't have that thing here pinellas county is this uh, little peninsula on the west coast of florida and you know if you drew the circle around it where that radius you'd have a lot of fish yeah. that could make it to the ballpark <laughs> but you wouldn't have a, a, as many people you know we've got a, a one of those issues where there's not a lot of people that can make it in a 30-minute drive it's the worst uh in that number in 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 uh, Major League Baseball, so uh, there's just been a lot going on, and man, it's an exciting time on the campaign trail. It's relentless events, uh, day in, day out. I just was speaking with a, a police union representative right before I walked in the door here, and uh, just coming from meetings after meetings, and uh, I'm just so happy and proud to be able to have a seat at the table for us, and like a lot of buddies of mine would say, there's nobody they'd rather have at the negotiation table than a passionate Rays and Tampa Bay fan like myself, and I'm, I'm happy to carry on the mantle for all of us. Well, especially homegrown, uh, you're a business owner, uh, like we were talking about right before the podcast. It feels like just a year ago, you were sitting in that chair. Uh, we were in the midst of the coronavirus, the pandemic, and uh, you know we were talking about how affected businesses were by it. Um, and you had some really strong opinions on it. It seemed like you, I think we all agreed pretty much on, you know, that maybe it was handled a little bit too harshly. How, how would you have handled it differently? Well, one of the things we thought was uh, was really mishandled, uh, you know, first and foremost, was telling people how they could equip their bodies to win that war within. I thought we missed a real opportunity to tell people uh, that 
hey, you can get more vitamin D, you can improve your immunity. You know, if you lose a little bit of weight, you, you eat right, you exercise, make sure you're getting plenty of fresh air, improve the ventilation in your home, and you're going to improve and increase your odds against uh, this deadly little microbe. Uh, but we learned a lot over the times, and then some of the rules they were doing against, uh, especially bars and restaurants, just were very impractical. I mean, all of you guys have been out to eat uh, over over the last year, this idea of wearing the mask for the first 12 seconds you're in the restaurant and then taking it off when you sit down was really ridiculous. And it's not something that you could enforce anyway. So as kind of a libertarian guy and limits of government guy, I didn't want anybody going around being the mask police. And then the city was asking us to be the mask police. You know, I've got a lot of other things to worry about. I want to make sure the burger's cooked right, the beer's flown cold, and people are showing up on time and everything else in my restaurant. So I own a couple of restaurants here in downtown St. Pete and uh, it just was an impractical thing. One of the things I would have done differently, too, was you had to have a controllable. I think what they could have done was just say, hey, we know indoor dining can be dangerous. because, And especially now, a year plus later, we've seen that it's exposure was what mattered. That if you had elongated exposure, like say you did a podcast together and <laughs> one of us was sick and we were talking back and forth in a poorly ventilated area, you were likely to get uh, the contract the virus and get it. And that's why telling people to stay home was a really bad idea, it turned out, and Telling people to order Uber Eats didn't do businesses like mine a whole lot of good. I mean, there was this virtue signaling that if you stayed home and you ordered Uber Eats, you were somehow a superior person <laughs> and then you were a more virtuous person. So I think that was a big mistake. I would have just, if I was them, I would have closed indoor dining altogether. Just tell people to sit outside. You do whatever you want outside, but we really got to restrict that. Make sure people could stay working and busy. If you wanted to go out to eat at a restaurant, you still had that option. If you wanted to go out to a bar, you could have hung out at a bar. I think there was a lot of mistakes made and just... The idea of, of being punitive and punishing people for the masking thing, I think, was a really bad idea. And it obviously didn't work. And now we've seen the Fauci emails where Fauci kind of said the mask didn't really work. <laughs> uh, and then we see, too, that, you know, maybe it did come from a lab. You know, that was a, that was a thing that got blocked by Facebook. So uh, I think this is a, a really unique time and a time for change and a time for a lot of uh, reflection about what kind of people we want to be and, and what we could do better. And I think government really damaged their own credibility this whole thing and, and all over uh, the world, not just here in St. Pete. So what's it like? I mean, uh, St. Pete is, a lot of people don't know, it's one of the largest cities in all Florida. So it's... Fifth largest city in Florida. We just lost to Orlando on this last uh, census. Oof. Orlando has... Uh, in terms of population? In terms of population, uh, we are the most densely populated county, though, in the southeast United States, and St. Pete is uh, the largest city in the most densely populated area of Pinellas County. Uh, we are not the county seat. Clearwater is the county seat, though. Um, but, yeah, we lost Orlando because they have land to build more housing, and that's one of the big issues here is affordable housing crisis. Everybody wants a piece of the action here in St. Pete. Right. So how, how has it been? Run, running for mayor? You've never done that before? Uh <laughs> How's the whole experience been? I, I ran for class president in fifth grade, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, I, and I, I did lose uh, that uh, to this girl, Angela Prescott. Uh, she was just a really sweet girl, smart girl. Uh, so credit to her on that uh, back in the 90s. But uh, um, it, it's been really amazing, Drew. It's, it's been uh, uh, energizing. Uh, we had over 100 people at our, at our launch event last week, and uh, we've raised over $50,000 in the first three weeks, which... Uh, uh, is going to help fuel our campaign. We've been able to advertise during some of the Stanley Cup playoffs and where our ad will air during uh, this game two uh, tonight of, of a Stanley Cup final. So we're really excited about that. The reactions from people are just overwhelmingly positive. They're so happy that a regular guy, a business owner, someone that doesn't want to be a career politician and doesn't get down with all the party politics. I'm, I'm a pretty purple guy. I, I might be a, a little libertarian leaning and, and I'm definitely a registered Republican, but uh 
you know, I, I never have voted party lines. I've always voted for the person I liked. And uh, every person that I've talked to has just been so excited and, and proud of what we're doing and really likes the message. And there's only one person that's ever tried to talk me out of it, and that's one of the other candidates that's, that's running. So he, he thought I was going to eat some of his lunch, and, uh, and I, def- I think definitely we are going to eat his lunch. But uh, um, it's just really exciting. It's such, such a crazy thing. I mean, there's just not enough hours in a day. I mean, you, someone like me who thinks they know the issues, I've learned a lot that – there's just so much more, and there's there's so many parts and moving parts of the city, but we're really excited, and I, and I feel stronger by the day. It's awesome. How long has this been brewing for you? Like, do you just, like, wake up and you're like, you know, I'm going to run today, or is it kind of, like, lingering? Like, just kind of break that one down for me. So as someone who has been in trouble uh, in their teens and early 20s, it was never something I really thought was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been interested in politics, not so much for politics, but for people. And uh, especially, uh, you know, getting arrested, you know, for drugs, especially stuff like marijuana, like it was when I was young. It definitely makes you look at government in a different way and being part of the system. And I definitely went through my my troubles. Uh, But I wouldn't say that it's been in the forefront of my mind at all. It's not something I ever thought I would do uh, because of some of that stuff. But over time, I just got to know and meet a lot of elected officials and one thing you learn about them is they're very human, too. They're human beings as well. And uh, we got involved with the campaign a few years ago about the big uh, attraction here, the pier. Uh, so that was the first campaign I got into it. So I just started getting involved, rubbing elbows with people a lot. And uh, my, my business partner, Ian Taylor, he uh, he always had a running joke. You guys remember uh, the mayor in Back to the Future, right, where he meets him at the restaurant, and, and, and they just say, a colored mayor, that'll be the day. And he's <laughs> like, I could be mayor, you know. And his boss just tells him, well, you can start by sweeping the floor, by cleaning up the city, you know. And uh, so Ian would always kind of joke with me about that when people would say, oh, you should run for office someday. And I was like, oh, that's the last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> I wanted to just have fun and work on my businesses and maybe start a family someday. And, and uh, things just kind of started changing for me. In the last year and a half, I just was able to build a really good team between uh, my, my team at the Galley and then Mary Margaret's, our Irish pub that we've got open. I'm, the ship's hold's really taken off with our, our beverage director, Joey Frasco, and then wham, COVID stuff hits. And then next thing you know, I'm on the spotlight. Our, we were, were, <laughs> our restaurant was one of the first restaurants in the world that had to close down because our staff got sick, and uh, they all made it. They all survived, like 99% of the people do. And uh, we just started doing these crazy interviews, and I started being thrust. Like, you know, in, in hospitality downtown, there's been so many hot-button issues over the years between noise ordinance, straw ban, after-hours permit, COVID restrictions, and, you know, the raise issue is a part of it, too. For all of us in hospitality, they bring a lot of people downtown uh, during the summertime, and it's all the events. And, and, you know, for people that are outside the area, downtown St. Pete's the most walkable community in the southeast United States. There's over 250 bars and restaurants, and it's really the economic engine of the city, and hospitality is a big part of that. So between everything that was happening to us politically, and, uh, you know, I would get put on these panels like, hey, let's talk about plastic straws, and and then I turned out I was a pretty good quote, so they could put me on, and, and they knew that I wasn't a crazy person when they put a camera in front of me. So I started getting stuff like that, and then we started taking a look at things last year, I'd be like, All right, who's going to run for mayor? Who's going to run for mayor next year? And it was like tired career politicians. Mm-hmm. And it was especially it was especially people that uh, I didn't feel were very passionate about an issue like Tropicana Field and, and the, the stadium issue. So I started paying attention to stuff like that, and people really liked my message, uh, fighting uh, some of the COVID restrictions and some of the craziness of all that stuff that – Someone was like, hey, we don't have a Republican. We don't have a, a, anybody on the right that's looking to run. 
So I was like, okay, I mean, what is this going to entail? What does this mean to me? So we kind of joke about it a little bit, and then I started having some meetings. Uh, one of our influential Senator Jeff Brandis was one of the first people I met with. I started talking to him, and he gave me what they call the faces of death, a conversation about the mailers and the attacks and all the things that, you know, we've already, I've already got a one-star review on one of my restaurants over <laughs> over, uh, over uh, my, my candidacy. And we know that stuff's happening, but business is booming. We feel really good. Um, so I started really thinking about it and looking at the options. And then the first thing you do is look at, like, well, who else is running? All right, if there was some great candidate out there, like, and I'm off the hook, right? There's someone I can I could support, but there wasn't anybody that I could support. And like, kind of like how I've become a de facto spokesman for our industry in St. Pete, and, and really kind of one of the one of the spokesmen for hospitality in the region. I just uh, kind of felt myself sitting there, like, man, there's really nobody else. You know, no one's going to say anything. Like we get we get to this point where like, hey, there's this big issue happening here, and then you look around, who's got anything to say? And you look around, like. Really, here I am. I'm the only one that, that has something to say. So stuff like that started happening, and I really was firm about not doing it by about Christmas time. And then uh, things just started to change quickly. My my uh, condo sold in in uh, March. That was a big thing. I, I got a new lady in my life uh, since the first podcast, and Jessica's just like my best friend. She's like the best thing ever happened to me. And we started driving around, seeing some of the other candidate signs. And like the one kid, he's 28 years old from Baltimore, and I just uh kind of a, a right-wing guy and only lived here for four years and it was just it's not even what he was saying it's that he was saying it was like i don't want my mayor to be a guy who's lived here for four years right. he doesn't have it's not his turn to speak yet so <laughs> that kind of bothered us and then gotta earn, earn, earn those stripes yeah and then the other other candidates were you know one is a city councilwoman who's been running for mayor for four years. It's like she's kind of got that Hillary Clinton kind of syndrome of every bated breath is about this next office. And then we had we had another guy who, a uh, twenty year county commissioner, and just like there was nobody exciting to get behind, and there was nobody on our side kind of representing the business community. So by uh, by the end of April, I, I I put my chips in, and I just said to the other guys and some of our friends at the Chamber of Commerce and everything like, hey. If you're not doing it, we need to find out if he's doing it. If he's not doing it, I need to find out if they're doing it. And if they're not doing it, I'm ready to go. And things just opened up for me in my life where home was great. You know, I was able to clear some debt personally and, and in a good situation. And then, uh, you know, Jessica was just such a great advocate. She's like, baby, if you don't do this, you're going to regret it the rest of your life. And that, that really resonated a lot to me. I didn't want to be the guy that was sitting at the bar like, Talking politics, you know, I almost ran for mayor one day. Like, I almost <laughs> did this. So it just didn't really make a lot of sense. And then we just kind of looked at it and, and said, hey, what's the worst thing that can happen? And it's like, well, the worst thing that can happen is, like, I would be a positive disruption because we know we're going to be talking about issues in a different way than, than the other people were. And then the second kind of best thing was, like, okay, then we'd have a seat at the table. So when these things start happening throughout the city, like, they're at least going to have to come talk to me and, and, and my people and then uh, the best case scenario was, holy shit, how do I go from 60 employees to 3,100 employees yeah. in the, throughout the city and, and kind of lead in one of the biggest cities in Florida and, and one of the top uh, 70 size cities in the country? And uh, so we just didn't really see a lot of downside to it. And uh, we thought we had a real shot. We thought a lot of people wanted to end the partisan politics and uh, the, the, the BS from a lot of the career politicians that come and, and uh, talk that, uh, that lip service every election season and Man, it's uh, it's been really rewarding. It's a lot of hard work, but I do get to do some fun stuff like this every once in a while too. For sure, that's awesome. That's actually like one of the cooler stories I like, I get to hear you know, about that. <laughs> no, it's a it's a crazy thing, and I just uh, I catch myself uh, probably about 
20 to 30 minutes every week just wondering, like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> like, this is crazy. But, but we're happy to go for it. You can't talk Tampa right now without talking about the sports scene. And obviously, so we're a sports website. We are very curious uh, about what your opinions are of this, the future of sports here in St. Pete. Um, we obviously have two fine sports teams here uh, in the St. Pete area, uh, the, the Tampa Bay Rays, and then, of course, great soccer team. Tampa Bay Rowdies. It's rowdies. The co-champions of the USL. Uh, uh, COVID claimed another trophy from Tampa Bay last year. That was a real bummer. Yeah. Maybe one of the most underrated parts about Tampa is the fact that we also have the Rowdies, who, you know, I've, I've heard that they've mentioned they've been mentioned multiple times as one of those borderline, you know, possible expansion MLS teams. Um, I've heard the stadium's amazing. I've yet to make it out there, unfortunately, but heard it's a great place to watch a game. Uh, so we got the Rowdies, we got Tampa, we got the Rays. Just from experience of person who has been, it is a it's a great time. Uh, oftentimes the tickets are very cheap, the beers are are flowing r- regularly, and the crowd is just as the team very rowdy. Yeah, it's uh, the, what really makes it at, at Allang Field down there for the Rowdies is Ralph's Mob, the the fan support club with the smoke bombs and the drums and I, the I was gonna say it has to be the ones hitting the drums. Yep, uh, soccer's never never been like my sport, and I you know I got to catch a part of the game down at the stadium. Really cool experience. I was like, man, they're just banging those drums nonstop, like it, an hour straight. And the vista is incredible. You overlook the St. Pete Marina. You get to see the Dolly Museum in the background. And if you're looking back the other way, you get to see the skyline of downtown St. Pete, which is ever uh, budding and growing. We've got a couple of big buildings going up now. And uh, it, it's just uh, the Rowdies is a fun thing, too. And, and what a lot of people don't understand, too, is the Rays own the Rowdies, too. The Sternberg Group bought the Rowdies a few years ago. So I guess we'll talk about that here in a little bit, too. Yep. You hear very few plans with the new stadium that don't include the Rowdies, obviously, them being a growing team um, in the soccer community. But let's talk the Rays. I uh, believe, as of right now, they're number one in the AL East. Uh, obviously, played in the World Series last year. I went to one of those games. I actually went to two of those games. I went to that crazy Rose Arena pickle game. Like That was one of the craziest things I ever saw. My, my girl and I were there out in Arlington. It was just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I missed uh, going to the World Series in 08, so I had to cash in my chance to go, and uh, I'm glad that I did. Of course. But now we're hearing all these talks, especially in the St. Pete area, you know, People want to move the stadium. Uh, even the crazy thing, possibly want to split time in Montreal, which is ironic considering the Lightning right now are playing Montreal. Yeah, isn't uh, that funny? But the Expo, the Expos obviously were a team for decades. Uh, I believe they lost it in, what, 2002? They're now the, the Nationals. I 04, I think, was their yeah. last season up there. Yeah. Where they, where they were split in time in Puerto Rico. M- moved, moved, to, uh, moved to D.C. Yeah, thereafter and became the Nationals. So they had their shot at a team. They lost it, and now they now they want to borrow our team for half the year. So what are your what are your thoughts on can can the Rays stay in St. Pete, and what 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 would your plans be as mayor? So uh, my as a fan, as someone who used to be a season ticket holder for the Rays, I think I made it to forty one games one year. I, I counted. I was I had left my job and took a couple months off, and and it was in the middle of two big home stands. So that was really great. <laughs> Uh, but man, that's that's a lot of hard work going to 81 games. I don't know how anybody ever does it. Uh, but uh, and the, you have to have a lot of time and a lot of passion for the game. But uh, when they first announced that uh, two years ago, it was a it was a real gut punch uh, here in, in not just the Bay Area but especially St. Pete, as you know this is one of our great claims to fame. And you know when we first went to the World Series in '08, that was one of the greatest things ever was seeing that that. Uh, Goodyear blimp view coming over downtown St. Pete and seeing seeing the dome lit up and you know for all of us that grew up around here going to those uh, 
those arena football league games and uh, the Tampa Lightning games and the Spiffs, the St. Pete International Folk Fair that used to be there and all that type of fun stuff and some of the concerts over the years. So that it's just always been a, a source of pride or or angst. You know, a lot of people lost their homes for the construction of the Florida Suncoast Dome now at Tropicana Field. But when they first announced that the Rays were in first place, we had the best record in baseball. And right smack in the middle of the season, the Sternberg group comes out and says, we're not a major league city. We can only support a team part-time. And we're going to split with Montreal. We've had these discussions about splitting with Montreal. And it just... I, I, like many fans, had a visceral reaction to that. At first, I thought the timing was so bad. As someone who does a lot of PR now when we're running for office, you got to think about how you deliver the message, and I've got some PR people on my team. Uh, I just thought that was just a bad move and a bad timing thing, and I guess it got leaked, and they had to have this press conference. They did it at the Dolly Museum, and they <laughs> talked about all that stuff. It was just like just the craziest thing. Like You just start thinking about like what the hell are they going to call them, and, and where are they going to play the playoff games, and how are they going to get the union involved in this? And now they want two stadiums built. They can't get one built. And it just, just it seemed a little crazy. Uh, but over time, as the blow has been softened, and I still believe that, that we can support a team full-time here, uh, I, I'm more open to the idea of it because I kind of see some of their logic on it. I think they understand that baseball has a problem with the length of the season. I think that's a, a real thing, that how do you get an area like this that – is divided by that body of water like we talk about. It doesn't have a mass transit system that kind of has more of a hospitality-driven economy where the median income is around $50,000 a year instead of like seventy, like in a place like Boston or, or New York uh, that doesn't have the same uh, disposable income. So uh, you start looking at that and like some of the possibilities that can be brought of of having this team where you kind of have this, this thing where maybe they go to Montreal for a little bit but then come back here in the fall or they – they have a spring home here again, like right now. Uh, St. Pete, for a long time, for, for people that aren't aware, St. Pete was the home of spring training baseball for decades and decades. We have a 105-year relationship with Major League Baseball. Uh, we actually just now are losing the headquarters for minor league baseball. The headquarters of minor league baseball has been here for 100 years as well. So their offices is all the way north up off uh, 16th Street. But they're moving to New York City now. They sold the building uh, just this month. But... Uh, it just seems kind of it seemed kind of awkward, but if you if you look at it from kind of a business standpoint of maybe kind of working out this partnership, I think it's worth the idea of exploring it in terms of you can move the rowdies in for the summertime when that USL soccer season happens, and then you don't have to have the big massive ballpark anymore. That you've got two parcels between the Allang Field where the rowdies play, where the Rays used to do spring training, where it used to be the home of spring training baseball since 1947, where like. Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle used to play on that field. Henry Aaron Pete Rose. That field. Pete Rose. I mean, so many legends. And for me, when I was a kid, the Mets used to play and have spring training there. Uh, the, the Strawberry, the 86 uh, Strawberry and Gooden Mets. So, the, uh, like, there's a lot of history here. But the idea is, like, if this is our chance to save pro sports in Pinellas County, that's why I try to elevate the stakes when we talk about this. And in one of these uh, campaign forums or debates that I'm going in, is like, no, it's not – it's not about can we build a new stadium. It's can we save pro sports for Pinellas County because if we don't save pro sports now, we're going to lose it forever in Pinellas County. And then we're just going to be this kind of have this feeling of, man, there's a real stain on losing a team, and then we're never going to get another another team. Or if we do get an, a, tra- a chance to have another team, we're going to have to do some real dangerous stuff 
like destroy an eminent domain, a community like we did the gas plant district and this entire black community that was raised in the 1980s to create the Florida Suncoast Dome in the first place that, that eventually lured a team. So uh, it was a lot of pain. We went through a lot of suffering to get this thing. When, we, when they built the dome, there was eight years but without a major tenant, but you know, we, we, it was completed in 1990, and then we didn't start playing baseball there until 1998. So we shouldn't just give this thing away so quickly. Uh, what I'd like to do is get the stadium done quickly, make sure it's a state-of-the-art ballpark, make sure it has everything we need, make sure it's activated 365, have a community benefits agreement that, that really uplifts the community like the Florida Suncoast Dome was supposed to, and make sure we don't raise taxes for it. I don't think we have to raise any new taxes for it. There seems to be money and political will here, and we have two great parcels of which, with which to develop between the Tropicana Field site of 86 acres and then Alang Field on, on the waterfront. So an interesting thing about the entire – I mean, I want to touch on more on the history of it here, but just touching on the, the Montreal split city thing, um, the concept behind it is that – Florida would host in the spring uh, when it's, you know, kind of still cold up in Montreal. And then throughout the course of the summer, when it's real hot and rainy in Florida, they would move the team up to Montreal. Uh, and then they would move it potentially back for the f- the fall. I mean, they would, I don't know how they would divide the playoff series because it's like, hey, like, like what, you know, then one area gets playoffs and one area doesn't. I don't know how they would do that if the team's in the playoffs because that's very strange. And if you're a fan of the team and you're, you're supporting the team for even a split portion of the time, you would want to be able to op- have an opportunity to go to the playoffs. Um, presents a ton of issues in terms of the player dynamic. Players would have to have multiple housing units in order. They need their passports. They'd have to learn French. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You'd have to have multiple, you know, you'd probably need to have a, a, like a, a, Two, a group down, staffs, yeah, yeah, a group, a group of staff down in in Tampa, St. Pete, or in and in Montreal, full year, or at least for the portion of the year where you know baseball is going on. It, it presents a lot of interesting things. Uh, at the end of the day, do you think that that's kind of just bullshit and a way for them to be like, oh, St. Pete reneges, so we can go to Montreal permanently? So, so that's definitely part of those uh, visceral feelings that I had back in 2019. And, you know, we're sitting on two years of of talking about this and. Last year was a bit of a wash. Nobody talked about anything because the fans weren't, you know, the Rays had the same attendance as everybody else last year. <laughs> Zero. Yeah. Right. right? Uh, so I, I think that's that, you know, you bring up all those same issues that I still think are, are real points of concern uh, that the, the Rays really haven't been able to answer or hash out. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been able to learn more on the campaign trail and getting to talk to some really smart people that some high-level people that have access. And from my understand is, is the Rays will sign a long-term lease in Tampa Bay. They do believe in Tampa Bay. They more or less question the model of baseball, of having a 162-game season and having this many events they have to host and trying to, to get people through the doors. And it's not just Tampa Bay that's having struggles at the gate uh, with this stuff. You know, It's very rare a, a market does really well. You'd have to have such a historic ballpark uh, like uh, Wrigley Field, Fenway, or Fenway Park, yeah. or you know, you've got 21 million people to draw from in New York City, and the richest team and the number one brand in the world, the Yankees, and they don't even sell out every game that they've got. Uh, you know, there's a, there, and they when they built their new stadium 12 years ago, they they reduced capacity. So I think that it needs to be kind of a change the way we think. And you know, if I had if I was king of baseball for the day, I would I would switch the entire dynamic. I would start spring training the day after the Super Bowl. 
you know, I'd start a, a season early right around St. Patrick's Day, have a spring schedule that had all the southern teams and the teams that had a little bit better weather, have that spring kind of competition where they play the majority of their home games in the spring, and then have a nice break around 4th of July for the All-Star game and then start kind of a summer season and then play the playoffs in the fall right after you ended around Labor Day where you really use the calendar to your, your uh, advantage. Like, you got to think of TV time as, as real estate. So I would change that and kind of make it where – you know, one of the things that's a bummer about baseball is if you, you know, there's an old saying in baseball, you can't win the World Series in April, but you can damn sure lose it. So those teams that, that lose it in April would have a chance then in that second half of the season. You know, you bring some ball players up from the minor leagues. That's what they do in the minor leagues. They have a split season. So I think that would help and change some of the dynamic, make it more exciting. they got to get rid of and away from things like the shift that I think are just bad. I mean, the baseball purists will freak out about mm-hmm. both ends of that, making a rule about the shift and also – uh, uh, just the shift in general. Uh, but I, I think uh, we got a problem with the three true outcomes in baseball where it's just not as exciting as it used to be. And I love baseball. I grew up in a baseball family. I played baseball. I volunteered for, you know, years and years and years in my little league and, and all throughout Pinellas County. But I've fallen asleep at a Major League Baseball game before. I will admit that. And, uh, and, I, and I love baseball. So <laughs> baseball's got some real problems. So what the insiders are telling me about some of this stuff is Al Lang is very much on the table. Uh, a shared, as, a, as a location as for a the location tro- for, for, for the for, new for the, for the new ballpark. Sure, uh, they were very much loved the Tampa Bay market. They just think baseball has a problem, and they understand the complications and some of the difficulties here. But they they don't they know what they've got here. They just want a good community partner, and they want to hash out a real deal. But you know, I, you know, I, no matter what these guys say to me, we know that these guys are Wall Street guys. These guys are very shrewd. They're very wealthy. They uh, their kind of business model is making money with your money, not spending their own. So they're 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 finance guys. But um, I I think uh, the Montreal thing is very complicated. But I, as me, I would like to call their bluff. And I'd like to get we have land. You know, I I don't know what's going on. I, I don't haven't been able to read the French papers up there <laughs> in, in Montreal, so I don't know exactly what's going on with the Bronfman Group. But I know that building a ballpark is is not easy, uh, but it, it can be done in a, in a couple of years. And we have two great parcels with which to work. But you know, there's no bad history with Alang. You know, it's just such a great site right there downtown on the waterfront. And you wouldn't need a thirty-five thousand seat stadium. You could do something at nineteen, twenty thousand seat stadium that was this. I think you could cap it under thirty easily and you'd be perfectly fine i mean most major league stadiums are around that capacity in general the rays actually have one of the largest stadiums in terms of potential capacity it's up to like 40 i think it can expand to 44 given certain times depending on what they have going on uh they may have made some adjustments to that in terms of like creating the 360 walk and stuff whatever but uh it's definitely a, a stadium that it was built originally for multi-purpose use. They they originally designed it for multi-purpose use. They tried to woo multiple teams, including the Giants, White Sox, and Mariners, who all leveraged St. Pete as an area, uh, St. Pete, Tampa Bay area, to get new stadiums built in their current cities. Well, that's exactly right, Newman, and uh, I, I think uh, there's two little funny things about that. Number one is, man, we made a mistake building that multi-purpose dome. It was the last multi-purpose pro sports facility built in North America and I believe the world it was and it's anti- probably the oldest it's the <laughs> it's it was literally antiquated the day they laid the last brick in 1990 so i mean it was just a bad it was it worked we got a team but it was the last of the old way of doing things and you never want to be the 
the the last person to to, to fight a, a war like that. You know, like it, it just comes to mind that that soldier that they found, the Japanese soldier they found, still holding his island up in the seventies. He was ready to still fight in World War Two. You know, we kind of built the last of of the old way of doing things, and I think that was a, a real mistake. And I always remember too, it and going to Baywalk here downtown St. Pete, they had that that exhibit that the Tempe Times did, the St. Pete Times. The, God, God rest the St. Pete Times. I wish the St. Pete Times is still around. The, the, the Times is not the same as it used to be. Uh, but uh, they had this exhibit going through Baywalk, going to the movie theater and everything. It was a walk through time. And there was this the picture of when we secured the Giants, that the, uh, the Namoli group had had a deal in principle to bring Major League Baseball to Tampa Bay and to, to the Florida Suncoast Dome. And it had a big headline that said, A Giant Leap. And then one of the articles on the side, the headline was, what could still go wrong? <laughs> so, and that was August of 1992. And then, of course, the McGowan group swoops in, rescues the Giants, saves for San Francisco. That offseason, they sign Barry Lamar Bonds, the greatest baseball player that I ever saw, and I think anybody else ever Amen. saw. Uh, uh, what a, just that, that kind of the rest of history, they got Pacific Bell Park built, and, and there you go. And Which is widely known as one of the most beautiful stadiums that there are in baseball. Yeah, it's just <laughs> and it's just incredible. I, I drove by there when I was out there uh, two years ago when I went and saw the Rays play Oakland in the playoffs. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, man... It's just been a tired saga now. The Rays first pitched a new stadium idea. You know, the Sternberg group took over the team as principal ownership in 2005. They promised they weren't going to talk new stadium. You know, the team was less than 10 years old. And then two years later, they pitched the new ballpark at the Alang site. And that's kind of the beginning of the saga. We yeah, have been the, threatening to leave for 14 years. Right, right around 2008, I think, was when the vote occurred for it, where they were going to do the wave concept. There actually uh, wasn't a or vote. Or the sale. I'm sorry, the sale concept, yeah. right? Yeah, so uh, there actually wasn't a vote. There was a big thing that happened here. St. Pete, its dynamics have changed a lot in the last 14 years. But uh, the sale stadium was this pitch at the Alang site where they wanted to dredge up a lot of Tampa Bay. So it got a lot of the environmentalists all stirred up. It was going to terminate the Saturday morning market, which is one of the growing events that we had in our city. It's now the biggest uh, Saturday morning market in the uh, state of Florida, one of the biggest in the southeast. There's over 10,000 people uh, a weekend to go there to that thing. It was going to eliminate the St. Pete Grand Prix because it was going to eliminate Bayshore Drive. And they didn't do any community outreach to all the condo towers. So there was this huge political movement of backlash against this new stadium site. It was going to really disrupt a lot of things going on. And our demographics were a lot different then. You know, since then, the median age of St. Pete is down to 41 years old. It's a lot of people like us that live here in St. Pete. And uh, it just really, they really kind of screwed the pooch on that one. Uh, they definitely messed that one up. They couldn't get Mayor Baker on, 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 on that side. And if it was kind of our best shot to get a new ballpark built down here. And instead of negotiating, working at Baker, just didn't really, didn't really work with them on the thing. And, and the Rays really messed it up. So it was supposed to go up for a public referendum because it is a waterfront park that's part of the city charter is to vote on and put it up to a public referendum. So it would have been on the ballot. The Rays got cold feet, pulled the plug, and then, of course, if you know your baseball history in Tampa Bay, the Rays went on to play in the World Series and were this magical run where we went to the World Series, beat the Red Sox in Game 7 ALCS right here in St. Pete. And I was there. Yeah, uh, unbelievable thing. I was convinced we were going to lose that game because we just lost two in a row. After it's an beat. amazing game. We were up 8 nothing in Game 5 and blew it. Uh, uh, against Boston, and then like David Ortiz had one of those great comeback games and, and big hits, and we just I was like we're so screwed. I just was so pissed uh, about that. I thought we were for sure we were cooked game seven, but we ended up pulling that thing off. Went to World Series. The vote would have been 
days after the World Series, there was such raised fever. Feel the heat raise. Remember the, the feel the heat? We probably would have won that vote. We would have got a ballpark. Thing. And then we wouldn't be talking about this stuff anymore and people would be taking their boats in the game and the girls would be wearing their bikinis going and getting their son at the ballpark or today they'd be bringing their umbrellas because it's, <laughs> it's raining today. Well, it's, it's one of the most interesting parts about the, the raise and you, you raise a lot of interesting points that I want to touch on because I like that you're not just taking the expo or the, the Montreal thing off the table because like you said, baseball is a dying sport and it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, listen, We've never filled the stadium in, in, in St. Pete. So if Montreal has some idea that, you know, separates it, where we can both get stadiums there and here, you know, it's a supply and demand thing. If you, if you reduce the supply, the games, I would assume that the games that we have here in St. Pete would fill up more. Now, I, I don't know exactly how that would work with, you know, logistically splitting that between two cities. What would you call the team? Uh, when they give it back to us in the fall, do we have full access to the playoffs? I would assume so, because it's almost like we're lending it to them. Sure. But but they have no team at all, so they their beggars can't be choosers. So I feel like we dictate things like that. Like, you can't say, like, oh, we'll get, give you half the playoff games. No, it's not going to work. And if you talk to Montreal fans and, you know, if you thought our attendance was bad, some of these 7,000 attended games, I mean, they would have 3,500 attended games in Montreal. But they would say, it's like, well, they were always threatening to leave. And it's like, well, that's what they've been doing to us the whole right. time, too. It's hard to get excited. You know, we were just looking through some of the stuff that was happening around 2019. Just, man, these guys, they just seem so out of touch a lot of times, the, the Sternberg group. But I think... One of the kind of the one of those other weird consequences of coronavirus was the Sternberg Group had to spend time in St. Pete. They couldn't. New York City was closed, and who wanted to be in New York City when they got body bags rolling out? You know, uh, and even that, I, I get on a tangent, and I won't do that. But uh, you know, they got to spend some time here, and like so, the Montreal thing is going to be interesting. But we've got to make sure like spring training needs to be part of that cocktail. Like we need to say, hey, you know, no more Port Charlotte. You're bringing spring ball back to the birthplace of spring training baseball, St. Pete, Florida. Okay, you're going to do that at this new ballpark. So then we're going to pick up another 10, 15 games there. And then we're talking about doing about 40, 41 games or so here, regular season here between April, May, and June. And then the other thing that I, that I like really like is, can we put St. Pete on the front of that jersey? Now that we're splitting the team, you know, the St. Pete, Montreal, whatever, SP, MTL, whatever, if it says St. Pete all the time, I think that that kind of outweighs the you know wins that advantage, and then also you know to see that on Sports Center all the time, St. Pete. And then people know that oh that's that's where the Rays play, or or, or uh, that's where the new ballpark is, the Bayfront ballpark, as I hope it would be. I think Alang's still the best site, but uh, what the Rays metrics would tell you is most people only go to one game a year. Yeah. All right. Uh, I've been very busy running from air, but I was still able to go to one game so far. So I guess I'm at the average right now. Uh, opening day, right? Uh, it was actually opening day, yes. Uh, so I did go to opening day, but we've got plans to take the kids to the game uh, here before too long. Uh, my girl uh, is a Yankees fan. Nobody's perfect, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 um, but uh, they would say people go to one game. And then, so if you crunch this three and a half million people in Tampa Bay into this kind of metric of one game they're going to actually increase average attendance by quite a bit if they did a split season of those 41 games and then i'd like to see if you did that let's say they actually do go through this and montreal is able to pull the stadium uh you can have that direct flight st Pete clearwater to montreal i think that could be a really great thing and build the stadium that that can double as a you know event space too i, I think that that's that's one thing that's lost is tropicana field you can't you've been to a concert at tropicana field 
It's so big. Acoustics Terrible. are awful. Yeah. Horrible. You can't you can't do it. Um if if you could get us an outdoor park, you know, by the by the waterfront where where Al Lang is, you know, that I, I feel like that could be a great uh be iconic. concert venue as well. So I think if you make it as Pete wants to be a three sixty five thing, it has to be a retractable roof of some nature. Just because we all know it rains like all the time here, especially during the summer. So you wouldn't be able to have many events there. In this is respect. assuming that they don't go to Montreal. Yeah. Uh, that, that, even, even if they go, I mean, he wants a 365 use stadium regardless. For right. Sure. Um, so if the rays are not going to be here, we want to be able to use that space for other things. So even at that respect, you would still need retractable roof for, you know, the opportunity. As long as, it, able- long as it opens. Right. I mean, so here's the thing. I mean, and this is, uh, you talked about an issue with an, uh, a rivalry between Miami or uh, Tampa and St. Pete. How about Miami? Because essentially they had a new stadium built that was, I don't know, $500 million or something like that, that they put into it, where they basically swindled the entire Florida, uh, the entire state of Florida, as well as the community of Miami into building this stadium down there. It's a beautiful ballpark, retractable roof, all this stuff. They never open it for one thing because it's Miami and it's hot and they never, whatever. But, um, and then also it helps their pitchers because the ball's not flying out as much. Um, <laughs> but all of that money is like state funded money that, they swindled out of, they promised that they were going to put money into the team, did it for half of a season, and then traded all of those guys away, so, right? So that's one of the great cautionary tales, and I think that's going to be the last deal that ever happens like that, or at least for a really long time, you know. Um, so everybody who was on that county, uh, city commission, county commission, city council in Miami uh, who voted for that stadium ended up getting voted out. The mayor got voted out. And the guy who won and became mayor was Jimenez, who was the biggest advocate against the stadium. So they shoehorned that thing into the wrong neighborhood. Uh, they put it in Little Havana, where a lot of people didn't want it. It was where the Orange Bowl was. Uh, that they, they wanted to do this whole thing. They fleeced the taxpayers. It was a really gross thing. HBO did a really amazing expose on it a few years back. And that's one of those great cautionary tales. And uh, some of those um, major league owners, perhaps the Sternberg group, were really upset about that because it kind of uh, uh, really blunted their opportunity to, to do some of those things that they've done around here. Um, but I, I think that the, this location does matter. Uh, our connectivity to the team does matter. And Miami is just one of those places. It's kind of like Tampa Bay where there's lots to do down there. This is not St. Louis, folks. Like there is, uh, and, and just for people who are listening outside of our area, we're sitting here. We're sports fans, right? We're we're diehards. Okay, I'm a diehard fan. I've been a season ticket for uh, the Rowdies, the Rays. Uh, I haven't had an opportunity to have lightning season tickets because they've been sold out on a waiting list for right. uh, for the better part of a decade now. But I am a season ticket over the Bucks. We were able to squeeze in that thing. Man, that was expensive this Woo-woo. year. Oh, uh, really? that, yeah, I'm, I got them right before uh, oh, before Brady came in. So I did a split season yeah. with another couple. My girl and I are going. So it was four grand for four games. So so wow. it, so it was a lot of money. We get a parking pass out of the deal, um, but. Uh, that that's a that's a really cool thing. But as a diehard, all right, I love the Rays. I love going to Major League Baseball. You give me two front row seats, club seat right behind home plate, or you say, hey, you want to go to the sandbar today? I'm gonna jump on the boat and go to the sandbar, yeah. and we're and I'm gonna go drink beers and hang out with my friends in, in the water and, and enjoy Tampa Bay itself. Uh, so that's kind of the biggest thing we have against us here in the summertime is just this all that there is to do around here, and it's just a you know, there's 250 bars and restaurants downtown St. B. You can watch the ball game from there. And Ferg's is a great time and a great place to be. And um, 
you know, it, we have the, a lot of that competition. We've got all the theme parks around here and world-class beaches, and it's just, uh, it's not like St. Louis where that's the whole ball game, you know, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, in, in general, there's a lot of things that we could talk about in terms of getting into the whole attendance issue if we really wanted to. Um, I don't think that that needs to be the topic of what we're talking about because we're talking about building the stadium um, as it really is. Um, but if you do talk about some of the other aspects that you have going on, it, it, there's a ton to do around here, which is one of the things that makes St. Pete great, right? Um, but... I think it absolutely can sustain baseball. There's a lot of things that the Rays can do as a team that would better allow them to attendance. But at the end of the day, Major League Baseball and any any uh, fran- professional franchise that that plays in the you know in the continental uh, you know North America, um, they make their money off TV TV contracts. The, the, the attendance thing is a joke. They try to push it as as a, an end all be all, and it is not. Every one of those teams is profitable single single handedly because of their TV contracts. And if you don't have a good TV contract, it's really kind of on you. Uh, because especially the Rays, in terms of market share, what they have going on, it's one of the top five, I think, in all of baseball in uh, terms of TV, con- uh, like how much people in the area that you're in actually watch those games. So the Tampa Bay market is the 13th largest media market in the United States, it's the number two media market in Florida. Uh, and we actually, the Rays baseball is, is broadcast all over uh, Florida, Central and North Florida. So we've got that. And they have a very rich TV deal with now Bally Sports. Bally Sports took over for uh, the, what was the Sunshine Fo- Network Fox, for a long time? Fox, Fox Sports, Sports Go, Fox Sports Sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all that the stuff. The regional network, uh, yes. Um, so, it's changed so, like five times. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's changed a lot lately. But that's a rich deal. And they also, they also get some of that luxury tax money. Uh, from the the economics of baseball, uh, and then they you know the biggest thing that that's really funding baseball is you know we may not be like the biggest baseball people, but I've got the MLB app, and that's thirty bucks a year. You think uh, that's kind of that Netflix money, right? Where you got, you got a couple million baseball fans paying thirty bucks a yeah, season or up. twenty bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a lot of dough that's raking in that gets split amongst all yeah. teams. So, you know that's kind of what I what I talk about Newman is. We need to make a ballpark that is this great feel and this intimate feeling where it's an event to be at. And I think the Rays make a mistake of treating Tuesday night games like it would be a Saturday night. And, like, I certainly don't do that with my bars, right? Nope. You can only do the same thing on so much on Tuesday. Like, uh, you know, we do Taco Tuesday and we do a Prime Rib Night on Wednesday. We do whatever I can to get people in because they don't come out on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. You got Cuban Thursday? Out. Yeah, the Cuban sandwich on Thursday. And we do hospitality night on other nights and stuff like that. But um, this new ballpark needs to be the first of the next generation of stadiums, and it needs to be this 21st century stadium that's this amazing television studio where everybody wants to Instagram to be there. They want to have a great interactive experience. One of the things that sucks about Trump Make sure that Wi-Fi is exactly pumped right. up to the max yeah, your so phone. people can be on their TikTok and their Snapchat yeah, and their exa- Instagram, exactly et cetera. Right. You know, we want to get the girls excited about going and have this great social event there. So it has to be that 21st century TV studio, and I don't think you need... 50,000 fans there. You just need a good, warm crowd, and you, know, you learn a lot. Think about how loud these lightning games were at half capacity at nine, ten thousand 10,000 people. That's what you need. You need an activated fan base, and, and I think that if they make that 21st century TV studio, it's going to be everything they need. Yeah, Sam, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of with you, like emulating what they did at like PNC in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of those areas you can walk and keep it wide open and you have, have extra bars where everyone wants to hang out there. Um, you know, just a little, the Instagram shots out there with, mm-hmm. you know, easy access to drinks, but right on the water, like 
people on the boats instead of going to the sandbar now you're talking about taking the boat to the game exactly and, right and that ferry trip just like how we take the ferry over to the hockey games from st pete's side right into the downtown tampa you could have it the other way they run and run two shuttles well, that's a that's a new thing that's gonna happen they're gonna have two ferries going year round now so, here in so yeah so currently the ferry only runs during the uh winter. during winter months because we actually i believe the city of st pete actually rents or borrows the ferries with boston. with boston so we're gonna get our own ferries I think that points me into another part of this discussion that I wanted to get to, which is essentially the infrastructure, right? So one of the biggest issues that you talked about is getting people to the ballpark, right? So it is a difficult sure. ballpark to get to because you can only get through, if you live in Pinellas County, then you can shoot down uh, on a couple of different highways. But other than that, there is a limit on the amount of infrastructure that you have going on because there's a lack of public transportation. Um, so you only really have the option to drive and you have to either drive across the Sunshine Skyway Bridge, the Howard Franklin Bridge, the Gandhi Bridge, or the Courtney Campbell, you know what I mean, to get there. So there's a lot of bridge aspects that people have to do. So I think any stadium that you build, whether it be in Tampa or in St. Pete, anywhere around this area, the infrastructure has to be built up around that. Um, and it, if you look at some of the plans that they've had for the new Trop development site, uh, most of those do include an infrastructure rebuild. Yeah, and, and I would, uh, I think that's an important thing. And like, you know, I've just met with some influential uh, real estate people this week, and you know, they're always infrastructure. Infrastructure is kind of everything, and and that's an important aspect of it. And like we said, there's no epicenter, and you might get a little bit more fans if you went to the mainland in Tampa, but they have a lot of political issues over there. They have a, a crisis of no perfect place to put it, and. They'd have to do a lot of dirty things like tear up a high school or tear up a neighborhood like we had to do 30-plus uh, years ago here. Um, but I'm one of those optimistic guys, and I like to think of myself as a big-picture guy. I am a big-picture guy. Um, the autonomous car is going to rule the road in our lifetimes. That uh, th This idea of, of trains is going to be a very 20th century idea, and it's not going to solve our problems in the 21st century, you know. I was someone who was a proponent of Green Light Pinellas. It was a big transit initiative here in P Pinellas County, but I was wrong. Uh, that would be in, like, year five of construction. We wouldn't have a single mile of track built right now if we'd gone through with Green Light Pinellas. It would have eminent domain, a lot of private property, and it would have shuttled people only from downtown Clearwater, which when's the last time you guys ever went to downtown Clearwater, right? You, you just don't go. It would have shuttled people from downtown Clearwater to downtown St. Pete, like, would have been great for people in Clearwater, right? But it would have taken up a lot of land. It just wouldn't have wouldn't have worked, right? And it would have taken decades to build, and and really would only service about thirty seven miles. So what I what I see is the Uber car is kind of changing the world. Uber itself is changing the world. The autonomous robot car is on the road already in cities like Phoenix and Pittsburgh. So I think that's going to be a big part of it. And Tampa Bay itself is doing two huge infrastructure transit projects. The uh, the Gateway Express that's going to connect US-19, which is the major thoroughfare through Pinellas County, is going to connect and fast-track directly to the Howard Franklin Bridge. That's going to be completed here in two years. That's literally going to shave 11 minutes off the average commute without traffic. It's going to divert a lot of traffic away from these two major arteries and get people around the bay faster. There's also the Selman Extension that's connecting the Leroy Selman Expressway that goes right through uh, the middle of Tampa to Gandhi Bridge right over there. That's going to bypass a lot of traffic, a lot of this congestion. That stuff is getting, I, I believe, some of it's already opened. I actually just drove on it today. Yeah. I, was, I was driving. A lot of it's open. I was yeah. driving. I'm like, where the hell am I? Did I miss my turn? Yeah. It was the first time I'd been on it since I built it. It was incredible. And it's fantastic. Yeah. It gets you right 
to the bridges where you can get over across Tampa Bay. We're rebuilding the Howard Franklin Bridge. It's a huge project that's going to expand and, and improve uh, pedestrian travel across there and, and bicycle travel where they're going to make it walkable, where it's not just this crazy highway. It's going to be a futuristic highway that going to fuel more traffic. Uh, so we're going to have these improved roadways that's going to make room for the uh, the Uber cars and, the, and, and uh, the autonomous vehicles. And I also know that BRT is going to be a thing with a bus rapid transit where they're creating a lane right through like east and west St. Pete gets you out to the beaches. They're talking about like 10, 15 minutes getting to the beach on a bus. Yeah. So these are the type of things that are, that are going to really change for us. So I think some of these transit options are going to change. We talked about the ferry system just a few minutes ago and just this density, you know, we have an affordable housing crisis here, like many cities all over the, the U.S., uh, and St. Pete is one of the it cities. When we talk about places to move in the United States, they're moving to Tampa Bay, and they're moving to Austin, Texas, right? They're moving to these places. We're one of those great places to be, so there's going to be so much density down here, and that's going to be a real solution. We've got to build a lot of houses, so the amount of people that are going to be able to be walk or get there without a car or without a driver's license or a need for a private vehicle is going to be huge in the next few years. And they're not going to need as many seats. You know, 19,000 people is going to feel great at that ballpark. Uh, that's this great 21st century TV studio of a stadium. I think they should really expand on the, you know, the, the ferry project's been a huge success. Um, Who wouldn't want to take a boat to the game, right? Exactly. Yeah, well, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Anything that connects Tampa to St. Pete, I mean, for – from our perspective, you know, we, we've thought about going to lightning games with the ferry. It's fantastic. You get off the ferry, you could pretty much walk over there. They could do the exact same thing from Tampa to here. It'd be a I, blast. I always thought, why not open that up even further? I mean, we're trying to connect the entire Tampa Bay area, which includes like Sarasota, Brandon. Like if you truly want to have a successful franchise here, what lightning has done well is all these different cities have access to it. You know, to get to a lightning game from, from Brandon, it's really not that big of a deal. To get to a lightning game, you know, to get to a Rays game from Brandon, you got to go across the Skyway. But what if there was some sort of ferry system even on that part? Like down you know, like Apollo Beach. Exactly. Center exactly. And, like, and, I always thought, like, expand that out because ferries, I mean... Ferries are huge up in the Northeast, and they, they bust around a lot of traffic. The issue is they are expensive to operate. For sure. That it, that it, it will create a lot of heavy, heavy, heavy taxpayer subsidy. Uh, it, it didn't really make much money that were going around here, but it's so popular. And, like, if you wanted to ride the ferry to the Lightning game, you had to buy that thing, like, pronto. Yeah. The, that thing those those tickets quickly. snap up quick. Um, sticking on that point, there is, so there is a high-speed rail construction going on from Orlando to Miami uh, that it, I don't know in terms of the timeline on it, but I've always been a kind of a proponent where it's like eventually Orlando and Tampa are going to get connected by some sort of rapid transit, uh, most likely high-speed rail. If you do connect that to Tampa, why not do one from then Tampa to St. Pete? And that would also alleviate some of the traffic concerns that we have as well as reduce, let's flat out be, be honest on this, for, uh, Tampa Bay area has one of the highest car insurance costs in the country. I think yes, so uh, any, the more people you can take off the road, the reduce the reduction that you're going to see in that as well. Man alive. Like in the last year, the traffic has gotten crazy here. It's been bananas town. Yep. It, it's really been wild. Like the amount of cars on the road, like going up and down fourth street, like for me, it's just, like, it's almost like everyone from the Northeast is moving shit, here. Right? Yeah. And, <laughs> because and the West. they are, <laughs> because they are for sure. My insurance is like a secondary car payment. It's oh, disgusting. Man. It's wild. Yeah. It's really wild. All right, guys, we'll pretty much cover most of most of what we we're going to talk about. Any other topics you want to go through? Do we do we want to talk some bolts here? Oh, man, uh, what an exciting time. And, you know, we talk about this Tropicana Field uh, situation. 
You know, it used to be called the Thunderdome. The uh, Thunderdome. The, the, the Lightning. For people to say that sports can't work here, the Lightning still have to this day NHL attendance records in St. Pete, Florida. S- single season attendance record throughout the course of the entire season, as well as single game and single playoff appearance. Absolutely. Uh, we, we were so excited. We made it to the playoffs uh, in 1993. Uh, it was such a, such a, this 1993-94 season. Uh, what a crazy time that was. And, and uh, that was the Chris Gratton, Brian Bradley lightning team. And, Darren Poopa. And, yeah, Darren Poopa. And, and uh, uh, Dino Cicerelli, that was my favorite lightning player on that team. And they had Enrico Ciccone that was the, the real goon on that squad. And then we were so excited, we, we pushed the Philadelphia Flyers to six games. And we won two games when John LeClaire, who was one of their great forwards, was injured. And, and that was just bedlam. What an exciting time that was, the Thunderdome. But now... It's like Champa Bay personified. The the Lightning are just such an unbelievable franchise. It feels like the the Islanders were the real tough test for us. They were somehow able to push us to seven games. But you know, when you look at this Lightning team that has just been lingering around the cup for ten years now, going back to that twenty eleven season when we have when we still had um Le Cavalier and San Louis and we had Baby Headman and, and Baby Stamkos and now it's just such an unbelievable team. We've got Far and away the best player in hockey, I think, in Andre Vasilevsky. He's just unbelievable. This guy stands on his head. He gives us a chance to win. Best goalie on the planet. Every single night he's between the pipes. He's one of the great athletes in sports and going to be an all-time legend here in Tampa Bay. And then you have arguably the best uh, defenseman in hockey, and Victor Hedman still to this day. I don't think it's that arguable. uh, He's just such an amazing player. And then you've got... Two of the best forwards in all three, of hockey. Three of the top 20 <laughs> forwards, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you include Stamkos. Stamkos like, is on the twilight Kuch- of his career Kucherov a little bit. But and Braden Point. Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov are just sharpshooters. They fly up and down the ice. They're into everything. They're tough. Uh, you know, to have this kind of combination of talent, and you have the experience and the, and the leadership of Steven Stamkos, it's just an amazing thing to watch. And uh, like I said the other day, you can't sweep them without winning the first one, and it feels like... I smell I smell the brooms coming out, and hopefully that continues on tonight. Yeah, I mean, the game's getting started here soon. But, uh, I mean, d- the thing that the Lightning show is that Tampa Bay absolutely will support a franchise, right? Like, yes. th- their Lightning home games are amazing fun. Hockey is the best sport to watch live. Uh, in my opinion, it's the best playoffs. Um, they're the most intense. Like, NFL, you still have some duds that go on. There's an occasional dud in a hockey game, but the, the fan experience is still at the, such a peak level that you don't even care if it's a blowout in a hockey game. It's just like, Oh, there's goals. It's like everyone's celebrating. You know what I mean? Unless you're on the losing end of it, I guess. But, uh, <clears throat> In general, I think that the Lightning are a perfect example of how you can run a team successfully Number in the Tampa Bay area. Um, year in, year out. And, and, and so that, that's what we want to do here for St. Pete, right? So for people don't know, too, like the Vinick organization took over a really struggling and, and a fledgling franchise that really struggled after they won the Cup in 2004 and, and didn't recover well from the lockout. And Jeffrey Vinick came in and bought this team, moved his entire organization, his entire family from the Boston area down in Tampa Bay. He's partnered with Bill Gates to do the Cascade Development, which is completely transforming downtown Tampa. He's become a community leader. For people who have never been to Emily Arena to check out a Lightning game, they literally give away $50,000 a game to a charity. They do a different charity every single game. It's just fantastic. The feeling is so so warm and exciting. The, the, the passion for the Lightning franchise is off the charts. It's something that we don't have with the Rays or even the Bucks at all. Like the Lightning are just far and away everybody's favorite team. And you look at, you know, they did set attendance records here in St. Pete, uh, here in downtown St. Pete. It did work. Uh, 
but no one was upset when they moved. You know, it wasn't an ugly thing when the Lightning moved to, to the then Ice Pals, now Emily Arena in 1996. It was like, okay, we're getting our baseball team. Uh, you know, you guys can move over there. Uh, the Thunderdome was just like, okay, we got to have hockey over here. It just made everybody these kind of lifelong fans over here where everybody just gotten involved and really loving uh, Tampa Bay hockey. And, uh, man, we're enjoying the fruits of all that labor and, and now. And it's just really an unbelievable franchise. And they're not going to let the team break up. We've got a great coach. You know, the owner's not going anywhere. The arena's not going anywhere. And it's just so exciting compared to last year, which was in the bubble that fans are able to go to playoff games this year, and and uh, hopefully they give us a, a big boat parade this year for able to, to finish <laughs> off the the Habs. It's a team that's built to last. And Champa Bay is very real. This is truly a renaissance of sports in this it's area. I mean, you talk about yeah, you know, team that's constantly in and out of number one at the AL East. A team that was just played in the World Series. Who obviously have the Super Bowl winner. Uh, even our even our minor league soccer team is really really good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Same. Uh, the Bucks are definitely going to be the favorite going forward, and that that uh, season's going to be starting here before you know it. I mean, we're here, and tomorrow's July one, and training camp starts here in just a few weeks. And I mean, it's so exciting! I can't wait to go to my first Bucks game this year. And uh, we we did a uh, NFC South preview last year, and Pete called the Bucks record right on the dot. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm also going to make another prediction. I predict that I'm going to finish second in this uh, in this electoral primary for for. Uh, for mayor, so we're going to move on to the general election. So that's going to be my prediction. We're going to finish in second place, and that moves us on to the runoff in November. If you want to learn more about our campaign, you can go to www.peteforsaintpete.com. We need all the donations that you can. We just had a big story this week. Um, we were able to raise over $50,000 in the first three weeks of us uh, announcing of our campaign. So we've got a lot of excitement about it, a lot of energy, uh, and uh, we'd love to have more of your donations. Uh, you can ask me any questions, send me anything around. My Facebook is open. Uh, Pete Boland, B-O-L-A-N-D, uh, and then uh, hit up our page. We've got a lot of great uh, strategies and, and deep dives into a lot of issues, and we just can't wait to, to fight the good fight to help St. Pete be all that it can be. Or if you want to talk to Pete in person, you can always find him at... The Galley, a, a, a St. Pete Tavern, my, my flagship restaurant, and then the Ship's Hold Cocktail Bar, which is attached next door, and then we have Mary Margaret's Old Irish Tavern, too. And uh, I'm always on the campaign trail, too, so pay attention, and our ads will be playing during... Uh, during uh, Bay News 9, the Rays games, and then during the Stanley Cup Finals tonight. Pete for St. Pete. Pete great, for, great places to watch sports, by the way, both those restaurants. Absolutely. We've been building a big soccer crowd, too, at Mary Market's. Really? It's been really great with all the uh, Euros. Doesn't surprise so, me. So, no, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, my manager, Ronan's been doing a great job down there taking care of the place. But, uh, Love Ronan. We're just excited to, to push St. Pete first, man, and uh, it, you know, kind of have to pinch myself sometimes that, uh, holy shit, I'm running for mayor in my hometown, but uh, we, we just feel really great about our message, and people are excited, and and I hope they uh, enjoy this little listen here. And I look forward to talking to you guys here uh, sometime uh, after August. For sure. Couldn't have a better name, name for it, Mr. Pete Bolin, running for St. Pete. Who would have thought just a year ago after, after coming on this podcast, he'd be running for mayor. It's crazy, man. It's good to have a homegrown just sports enthusiasts like you out there, you know, repping us, the, the little guy. Well, yeah, there's, uh, you know, one of the things I talk about is I actually am a fan. You know, that all these other politicians that go up there, they pretend to be fans. I don't think they really care. Right. And uh, no one, no one's going to be better on this issue than me, and I think I proved that today again. For sure. All right, buddy. We'll uh, we'll have you on the podcast soon. Well, right. may, maybe not if you're mayor, but yeah. <laughs> you well, might no, not have well, time no, for no, it. That, that, that would be a lot of fun, and, uh, and if we win in November, we'll have a couple months to get ourselves together, and, and uh, maybe we'll see you at some of these Bucks games, and uh, I look forward to, to talking St. Pete with every chance I get. It's just uh, 
my favorite subject and we just want to do what's right for the people and and put St. Pete first put partisan politics behind us and and uh, all these career ambitions you know I, I tell you one thing I'm you won't be having me a podcast talking about when I run for state house or or congress or some nonsense like that I'm never leaving St. Pete this is my forever home heck yeah man well thanks for coming on hey thank you guys appreciate you big time appreciate it. go bolts go, go bolts. watch that go raise bye